The summer after my sixth year, my parents up in Gainesville, Georgia, were angel donors to a production of the then very new and novel play musical called Godspell, an adaptation of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. To this day, I have entire passages of that play and entire songs from that musical memorized. I must have seen it 30 times that summer. I helped them put up the set. I helped them take down the set. I got to know all the cast members. And I really like the the character of Jesus in the play. He wears a Superman shirt with bright suspenders and he has on clown makeup and the young man that played Jesus that summer had really long hair and he looked like a rock star. And so the song that always got to me every night without fail was the whole scene of the play where they crucified Jesus and they put him up on this fence with these red ribbons from his hands and they sing this song. And the lyrics are, Oh God, you're dying. Oh God, you're dying over and over again till at the end when he finally breathes his last and his head slumps over they sing oh god you're dead night after night i would see this and wish that the play would end differently that jesus with the superman t-shirt and the clown makeup could live and that judas would get what he had coming to him but jesus at the end of the scene was killed he was dead he was betrayed And I remember conversations I'd have with my dad from then the front seat of the car. I'd ask my dad, who who at the time had a pretty good answer, I'd ask my dad, why did they kill Jesus? What did he do, Daddy? And I like Dad's answer. He said, I remember, well, I guess we just couldn't handle him, son. So then I'd go to Sunday school on Sunday and I'd ask my teachers the same question or I'd listen to the lessons and I'd get answers like this. Well, he died because of you or he died because of your sin or our sin. Or there was this one. We killed him and you would have helped had you been there. Or this one. If it had not been for him, you would have been up there. Which were pretty horrifying for a six-year-old. And they were all answers from well-meaning people, I think. All throughout uh, history, people have tried to answer the question, why did this happen to Jesus with well-reasoned and time-honored, if not today antiquated, explanations? So on Good Friday, we ask why again. Why would God order his son to this kind of death? We have an opportunity on Good Friday to interrogate some of these explanations for Jesus' death. So God, needful of justice for our sin and the fall of humanity that none of us had anything to do with, had to have some kind of blood to satisfy the penalty for sin. Jesus sheds that blood today, satisfying As C.S. Lewis once said, the old magic of an ancient sin debt 
Jesus, God's Son, pays the price for divine justice on the altar of that horrible cross, God would approve of this happening to anyone, much less Jesus, her own son? So today I wonder, how do we answer the question, why did this happen to Jesus in a way that does not make God out to be some kind of monster? Oddly enough, today we find some answers for this in our psalm. For starters, in the crucifixion stories in the Gospels, Jesus quotes the psalms. Today he quotes Psalm 31. It's a prayer of hope in a time of persecution. Into my hands I commend, into your hands, dear, dear Father, I commend my spirit. Luke's Gospel has a calmer and maybe even a more noble Jesus than Matthew and Mark's. Matthew and Mark both have Jesus quoting Psalm 22 that we just read, which is not a happy psalm, it's a lament psalm. Psalm 22 captures the interior state of anyone who is in a time of crisis and in a time of pain. There were the songs that Jesus sang growing up, and when he recites them in Matthew and Mark, he does it in, in Aramaic, which tells us that he was crying out with these psalms. He was not reciting them in some sort of of, of pious act on the cross. They must have reflected the interior state he was facing today. I like how the Common English Bible puts it. My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. So like the psalmist, Jesus in death is totally cut off from help from God or from anyone else. And Luke complements this by emphasizing how Jesus is abandoned by everyone around him. One person says, he saved others, let him save himself as he is really, if he really is the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. One of the men next to him says, if you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And soldiers make fun of him and they tack a sign above his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. Save yourself, they tell him. And in his abandonment, God, as we know it, Jesus not only experiences God forsakenness, but Jesus resists the temptation to do anything for himself. Jesus, God, Jesus, God forsakenness, sees him today crying out for pain and sees him despised and shamed and marginalized by everyone. But in all the gospel accounts we read, we, we see a God, a God who could do anything, a God who becomes one of us and a God who becomes in the end, not triumphant, not powerful, but God forsaken. God is on the gallows. Elie Wiesel tells a, great, tells a story in his account of the Holocaust night about a time when there was a young boy in his camp who sang beautifully. 
Then in one of their senseless executions, the the Nazi guards trotted out a group of people that included that little boy, and they hung them on the gallows. Yet when they kicked the chair out from under that little boy, he wasn't heavy enough for his neck to break or for himself to strangle. And he writhed in strangulation for many, many minutes, his face turning blue, his tongue falling out of his mouth. And as this happened, Ellie hears a man behind him saying, where is God? Where is God now? And as Ellie walked by the gallows, watching that little boy writhe, he wept and he thought to himself, there is God, there is God upon that gallows. God on the gallows, I think, gives us the key to the answer of why. One theologian, Tony Jones, says that Jesus' life and particularly his death, show God's ultimate solidarity with the marginalized and the oppressed, with those who most acutely experience God's forsakenness. God has solidarity with the marginalized and the oppressed, and who among us have not been marginalized and oppressed at some point in our lives. And then Jones says that then we are called to the cross to identify with Christ's suffering and death much as he identified with us. In his death, we are united with his suffering. Jesus, the Son of God, one part of the holy fellowship of the Trinity itself is cut off from that very Trinity. He heals the sick. He heals the lame. He feeds the poor. He teaches and he lives with us and he loves us. But in his death, he becomes most like us. So when we ask why, today when we watch Jesus die, really no answer is entirely satisfying. His faithfulness, his courage, his resistance to escaping his fate confronts us all on so many fronts. We even place this at the center of our Eucharist, after all, is part of the mystery of faith. Christ has died, we say, every week when we, when we pray together. So this mystery, this cross, then, perhaps it's not about blood or vengeance. See, experience through the lens of God-forsakenness, the cross can be about love and not just love for us, for the select few, for the elect, but love for all humanity. Ours is not a bloodthirsty God, desperate for vengeance or justice through the death of an innocent son. No, ours is a God who suffers with us even unto death. Ours is a God who once and for all tells us with her son on the gallows, on the cross, that we really are God's children. Love, real love, begins on the cross. Amen.